Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning on this uh, very, very sober Monday, October the 9th, 2023. Uh, it, it will be difficult to avoid. Um, it will be difficult to avoid the headline news today uh, and, and not just today, but uh, in the days to come. Uh, and and yes, uh, for those of you texting in, hey, do you know that the death toll in Ukraine uh, just surpassed 150,000 over the weekend? Hey, do you uh, do you know um, are you paying attention uh, to the fact that um, uh, 2,000 people in Afghanistan lost their lives to an earthquake over the weekend? Yeah, the um, I, I, I will tell you, I am um, desperately aware, um, desperately aware of what is happening um, around the world. I'm also very aware that you and I hold up um, empty hands before a holy God. And I just in those in those hands, as you lift them up to God today uh, on your knees with streaming tears, knowing not what to say in the face of most of these circumstances, um, I just want you to acknowledge that God is sovereign. He is good. He is holy. He is merciful. He is present. He's not uh, off the job. Um, and I also recognize that for those of us who have children and grandchildren, um, we are going to have to enter into conversations that um, allow them to talk because they are hearing and exposed to things that in all likelihood you are not hearing and are not exposed to. Their social media feed is different than yours and mine. So here are some thoughts today as you engage in conversation with others about this. Start with questions like, well, what do you know? What do you know? What have you heard um, what have you seen? <clears throat> um, how does that make you feel? And if all that they have seen is horror on every side, um, have you seen the helpers? Have you seen people on their faces praying? Have you seen, in addition to people demonstrating and celebrating what is happening, have you seen people demonstrating and singing and praying? What questions do you have? How are you feeling? What are you wondering? What do you fear? What are you concerned about? What do you want to do? Um, is there a way that you could empower um, positive action? Can we pray about? Can we pray together? Um. In the in the what do you want to do category, maybe you are asking that question yourself. Maybe you are asking the question, well, what can I do? What can I actually do? Who do you know in your community? Who do you know in your town, in your city? Um, who do you know on social media? Who do you know um, that is Jewish? 
Now, you can't assume that every Jewish person is actually pro-Israel, but I trust me when I tell you they are um, concerned about this. They are aware of this. They have family and friends who are living this. So who do you know that is Jewish? Um, and how can you show your concern and solidarity for them today? And for those of you who um, are asking the same question on um, the other side of this conversation, um, there are some times and places where we recognize that there are victims on both sides of a conflict. But in this case, there is but one aggressor, and there is a nation defending itself. And I know that might seem um, a overly simplistic reduction of the facts, um, but at some point you have to recognize that um, crossing over a border and killing women and children um, and disabled and elderly people and treating their bodies as <clears throat> no human image bearer should ever be treated, um, there is a different, there is a difference here. Um, and so what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Um, do you want to draw a picture? Do you want to send a card? Do you want to take them flowers? Do you want to visit? Do you want to give them a hug? Do you want to offer to pray? What do you want to do? There is power, particularly for, you know, kids and uh, teenagers, young adults. There's power of like art. There's like, you know, you might call it art therapy, but actually just sit down with some blank paper and some markers or some colored pencils while you're having this conversation so that you, you know, they're not forced to look you in the eye. They can be looking at the paper on the table as you're talking about what they've seen and what they've heard and what they're wondering and what they fear and what they're feeling and what they want to do. There's also a tremendous amount of power in human touch. And so sit closer. Um, put an arm around somebody. Reach out a hand. Um, what do we want to do? What, what do we want to do today? What do you want to do today? Um, and then there's this. How do we do what's in front of us to do on a day like this? Because, you know, you got to get up and you got to get dressed and you got to get yourself together and you got to get out there and you got to do the things that are before you to do today in, in your regular rhythm of life. And how do we do those things on a day like this? Well, we do those things trusting that God is sovereign, that he's gracious, that the people whose job it is to be, uh, to be responding in particular ways are doing their job, and we do what we can do when we are asked and as God tenderizes our hearts to the situation. So I'm praying today for my friend Jamie, who I went to high school with, who now lives in Israel with her family. I'm praying for her husband. I'm praying for his friends who are now deployed um, onto the front lines. Um, and so it's personal. I'm praying for my friends at the Philos Project who are um, leading conversations and participating in demonstrations in both Washington, D.C. and New York City. I am um, I am putting my prayers forward um, and I'm talking with the people who, you know, who I encounter. I'm talking about these things. I'm willing to talk. 
So just be willing today to enter into difficult conversations. Ask a lot of questions. What have you seen? What have you heard? How are you feeling? What questions do you have? What are you wondering? What do you fear? What do you want to do? Um, we're all in this together, and we're all in God's good hands. Dr. Linda Mental is going to join us in just a moment. We're going to talk about some things that are um, facing us uh, in our own culture, particularly our teenagers, as their use of illicit drugs, including cannabis, is on the rise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is joining us. You can listen to her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also visit with her online and read what she's writing about at drlindamental.com. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Uh, We have been having very sober conversations here this morning about things that are happening around the world. So I'm I'm grateful um, for the opportunity to talk with you today. Well, we've got some sober conversations we need to be talking about and when it comes to the American family and what's happening with our teenagers. So I don't want to, I know I'm going to add to the sobering conversation. No, no, it's good. But... We need to, we need to pivot and talk about something a little bit, uh, a little bit diff- different in this case, much closer to home. So yes. what, what do we now know about what the world would call casual pot use? Um, yeah, what, or, what do we or... know about what's, what it's doing to our kids? Well, the the term recreational is what Mm. comes up often. And uh, Mm. when you have anything recreational, you sort of assume it could be safe and harmless and something that would be enjoyable and leisurely. And marijuana use in our country just overall has become recreational use by the legalization process. So I want to be really clear with our audience that cannabis and the legalization of pot was all induced by commercialization. So it's all about money. It's all it's not about your mental health, it's not about your health, it's not about helping people in any significant way. This whole process came through the commercialization efforts and people who wanted to make money uh, off of uh, another product. So part of the problem is when you have something like this that is supposed to be legalized for adults, obviously teenagers start using. And what we've seen since the legalization is an 18, almost 18% increase in the use of marijuana by teenagers. And the, the thing that concerns me, and I'm really passionate about this topic because I see this, Carmen, being another opioid epidemic for us. I really think that we're going to start seeing just more and more. We're already seeing it in the hospital. I'm already seeing evaluations where um, adults and teenagers are using marijuana on a regular basis, a lot of them on a daily basis, because they think it's not only recreational, but they also think that there's something medical about this use of this product. And you've heard the term medical marijuana, which is a joke, because there are maybe there's two rare seizure conditions and uh, there may be some use with multiple sclerosis with uh, the movement of of somebody. And that's about it. Cannabis uh, may be used for cancer, nausea. Other than that, there is absolutely no evidence that cannabis helps people medically. And yet we have all these medical cards and 
that's another whole topic. We could talk about how how you get a medical marijuana card. You are not getting a prescription from a physician. So just so people know that that's not the way that process works and happy to talk about it. But let's get let's get back to teens and what's happening. So we've got all this use. There was a huge study in uh, JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, that had uh, over 68,000 children and uh, teenagers in it, ages 12 to 17. And they looked at three groups. They looked at kids who don't use any marijuana, kids who use it on a kind of regular basis, and then kids who would actually make the diagnosis of cannabis use disorder. So that's a substance use disorder DSM-5 diagnosis, because you're now in that addictive group, which is about 10% of users. What they found- when we talk about, when, Well, but when we talk about when, 10% of users, we're still talking about a whole lot of people. Oh my gosh. We're talking about a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And so people yeah. just go, well, you know, it's not a gateway drug. It's not going to get me addicted. Well, you don't know that. And if you have a history in your family of any type of substance use, alcohol, you know, smoking, you have this more addictive genetic personality. And mm-hmm. we know that that's true, that a substance use uh, genetically is inherited. So mm-hmm. if you have that background, you have a higher chance of getting addicted. All right, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to continue talking about the effects of cannabis use. Dr. Linda Mendel is helping us understand why this idea that um, casual marijuana use or casual pot use or recreational use of marijuana, um, why it is a real problem and why we ought to be talking with our young people about it. Um, It's not just a multi-billion dollar industry now. Um, It's actually associated with all kinds of cognitive um, decline among, um, you know, emerging generations. And so we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Teen cannabis use is more than recreational. You can find the piece at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. An increasing percentage of parents um, are using all kinds of cannabis derivatives to um, affect change in their kids. Cannabis use is definitely affecting change in our kids and our teenagers. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. Uh, you can listen uh, to the Dr. Linda Mental show and find what Linda is writing at drlindamental.com. Um, probably a good time, Linda, to talk about the difference between cannabis use, smoking pot, or taking uh, the kinds of um, edibles and other things that actually have the full, um, you know, the full dose of, of THC versus people who are using cannabis derivatives like CBD products. Because I just, I don't know about you, but I just see an incredible number of parents giving CBD-related products to their kids. 
Yeah, there's a difference in the two things. So the THC you mentioned is the part of the, the the cannabis plant that gives you that high and alters, you know, the alters you and has that intense sensory perception and the the way that people feel high. Whereas there are other parts of the plant that don't do that. And that's where the CBD stuff comes in. Now, it's interesting. I, I went to a, a big conference at the Mayo Clinic uh, put on about CBD use. And part of the problem with that is that we have all these it's everything is so unregulated. So mm-hmm. none of this stuff went through the FDA to to get it's in fact cannabis is still marijuana is still a scheduled one drug which means it has absolutely no medical use and it's it's controlled federally. That's different by state by state. States have legalized it. But cannabis project pro, um products and CBD products part of the problem is they're not regulated. So you don't have the same ingredients, you don't have the same um you know, packaging, everything, it doesn't really tell you what's in it. It's one of the problems with a lot of products being laced with fentanyl or something else. And and with cannabis, there's a lot of heavy metals and that affects the brain as well. So when people go to buy something, you don't really know what you're getting. And so part of this is, and what, what Mayo Clinic was trying to do, they actually developed their own CBD for their trials to try to see what conditions that that affects. But that's a, a little bit different because it doesn't have the we have a lot of claims for both cannabis and for marijuana and cbd saying they do all kinds of stuff which we really don't know because it has been a schedule 1 drug which means you can't really test it on human subjects now there's all this testing done and that's one of the reasons i think this study in jama is so important because it's it involves 68,000 teenagers. That's a lot of teenagers to be looking at. And we've got to get people away from just subjective experience, somebody they know, what they feel. And we have to start really looking at the evidence. So let's go back to the impact because I think people should know what what they found in that study, Carmen. They found that there were poor uh, school academics. They did poor on their grades when they were using cannabis, more dropout, more skipping of school, more police involvement. They also found that with increased use, there's an increase in the the teen's mood problems and negative thinking. So part of this is with continued use, your mood actually worsens. And this, this product, cannabis with THC in it, affects the gray matter in the brain. And why is that important? Well, teenager, the teen brain is still developing. And the gray matter in our brain has to do with our memory, our emotions, and even our movement. And so when that is affected, that really can create a lot of cognitive problems. And so we have we have a lot of concern with kids with ADHD, right? Attention deficit hyperactive, hyperactivity disorder. And so part of what we're seeing with cannabis use is that that same part of the brain, that executive function, that part of the brain that makes decisions, that makes good judgment, that has to do with planning, all of that is impacted by can- cannabis use. And so is your working memory. And your working memory is really the short-term memory. That's what stores information for you to make decisions or to make a plan. Kids that use cannabis have trouble self-regulating their emotions. They have problems with decision-making. They don't. They lose attention. And we're seeing also deficits in another part of your memory, which is called episodic memory. And that really has to do with your recollection. So remembering mm. things. So remembering, oh yeah, at my seventh birthday party, I had dinosaurs or whatever, you know, whatever you remember. So all of these brain conditions 
are significant. And the most significant one, I think, for me is that I see we're seeing a four times increase from a teen using to adult psychosis. So there's been a, a rise in schizophrenia, and that connection has been very specifically seen over and over and over in the studies. So it isn't just this harmless recreational thing on the teen brain. It actually is is prompting more people towards psychosis, which could lead to a diagnosis of schizophrenia. So we need to be concerned. And then there's all of the other issues of increased car accidents, because when kids, teenagers are smoking and they're driving, you know, those are the people you see going 25 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour um, lane that you need to be very concerned about. And then, of course, I just want to say this. If you're pregnant, do not listen to anybody you go to in a dispensary. If you go into a dispensary, I, I wish you wouldn't. But if you did... And they tell you, oh, this is a great, you know, great drug for nausea. It's tied to low birth weight and fetal development of the brain. We're not so sure what's going on with that. So it's a no, no, no for pregnant women uh, and pregnant teens. You should not be using cannabis at all. Uh, Linda, you've got so many good things posted right now on your blog at drlindamental.com. Could we just touch for a couple of minutes on this um, this piece, Six Ways to Help the Emotional Journey of Caregiving? Um, we can't cover, you know, like all six of them in depth, but who are we concerned about when we talk about um, those who are giving care to others and the emotional journey it is for for those individuals, not just um, you know, not just the aging parent. Yeah, it's just so hard when you're in that. I've been in that position with every single one of my parents and and Norm's parents. Um, and it is you want to do the right thing. You want to honor your parents. You want to you want to be able to be there for them uh, at the at the you know closing times of their life. But it is a lot of stress and you really have to think about how that's impacting your own health. And, you know, the parents are always worried, am I going to be a burden on you? Is this too much? But somebody has to help them. And you need a lot of advocacy when when you get older and you start using medical um, medical services because it is not easy. And a lot of times there's problems with access to care. You have to fill out pages and pages of information. My my dad's a vet, was a vet. And when I got him into the VA system, I remember it was 42 pages of material and it was just ridiculously complicated. Once we got it done, he got the services. So um, it was good, but it was just very difficult. And you're trying to, you know, if you're somebody giving care, you're trying to manage your own life, maybe your own family, and you're running back and forth and you need the resources to help all the things that have to help. So I think when when what I learned from taking care of my parents was I wanted to make sure that I had a good plan for myself and my husband when we get older so that a lot of these things that were not attended to um, by my parents' generation that I was trying to think ahead and try to plan and, and understand what the resources are out there to help people. So just know that this is a very stressful journey. It's a period of time in your life, probably when you're doing more than you normally do, and you need to do some self-care. Church people need to come around and and help. We're in a wonderful church group where people bring meals and they pray and they they help as much as they can when somebody is going through this time. But it's real difficult on families, even though it's a good thing that you're doing and something that you will not regret after your parents have maybe passed away. 
I have a friend who, um, you know, dropping off meals would not be helpful to she and her husband, but um, her community group at her church got together and they paid for somebody to come and clean her house. Yes. Um, not, they didn't one. show up to clean her house because really, like, right. I don't really want my friends to come up and show up mm-hmm. and clean my house. Like, that's just going to make me more stressed out. But um, but to to find a way to serve somebody who yes. is serving their own parents, like, right. I mean, you're just finding ways that um, just, and it could be cutting the lawn. It could be, I mean, there's all kinds of things. It could be bagging leaves. I mean, I don't know what the act of service is, but it's probably an act of service. And it is, um, uh, and it is probably um, something that you could get together with others and, and accomplish for, um, for the good of your, of your friend who is exhausting themselves trying to care for, um, you know, somebody in one direction or the other in terms of their generational responsibility. So I just felt like this was a really particular, particularly helpful piece. Six Ways to Help the Emotional Journey of Caregiving. You can find it at drlindamental.com uh, on the blog. Linda, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, likewise. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I um, I spent the weekend um, in stillness and solitude in a um, just two days of Sabbath with um, with four other women, and I just want to invite you to consider renewing your commitment to quiet time with the Lord. When was the last time you just sat quietly with the Lord? You asked him to um, calm every voice but his own. When you ask him to speak to you, you know, just, just with a journal in hand. When was the last time you were still, genuinely still, before the Lord? Stillness um, and silence and solitude are um, gateways they just really are. They're spiritual gateways. Uh, and I want to invite you to consider not just the power of periodic stillness and solitude um, with the Lord, but a regular rhythm of it to make it a practice. And so Brian Heasley is going to join us next. He's the author of Be Still, A Simple Guide to Quiet Times. Um, it could be that you, you know, sort of learned how to have a quiet time early in your discipleship journey. And it could be that you never really learned how to have a quiet time. Like, what does that even mean and how do I do it? Well, we're just going to talk about what that looks like. Uh, Brian Heasley joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Do you need a little refreshment for your quiet time? Brian Heasley is joining us. The book is Be Still, A Simple Guide to Quiet Times. Brian, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I I am well. I am well. I spent a weekend in silence, stillness, and solitude with, uh, with four other women, and so I'm ready for this conversation. Amazing. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that. I want to be at the place. I, I So I'm reminded when I do things like this, I'm reminded of how much I love spending quiet time with the Lord and how rich that time is. And then I'm also 
immediately aware of of how little I do it in the regular rhythm of my life. And so I'm craving, I'm craving this. So, um, so thank you in advance. Talk with us about what it means to be still um, and this invitation of God to be still and then how we can cultivate that in our, in our regular lives. So we've got all day to talk about this or just a few yes. moments. Yes. <laughs> just, just act like we have all day. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I've been a Christian many years. I'm the, uh, international prayer director for a large Christian charity called 24 seven prayer. And, uh, over the years we've developed lots of different ways of helping people pray and engage. But I started to think I've got a 27 year old and a 25 year old son, two sons. And I'm thinking, what, what, is it that helps sustain me through my own Christian walk over the last 30 or so years that I would like to give to my children? And I, it came to me that it wasn't always great Sunday mornings, although they're definitely worth doing. It wasn't always, you know, great music and great podcasts. It was the simple everyday discipline of having a quiet time. And I felt it's maybe something in today's culture that's drifted a little bit. Probably we're busy. We, you know, we're doing a lot of different things that, that take up our time, but we've kind of like drifted away from the idea of a quiet time. And I, I, I wonder if that's a little bit because we don't like feeling guilty and we're all a bit like, Hey, I don't pray enough. I don't put myself, you know, I don't step to one side enough out of today's busy world. And it's maybe been put on us as a chore as something that we have to mm-hmm. do rather than, rather than something we enjoy doing. And I guess for me, Carmen, that sense that God's primary expression towards me is a smile. And that when I enter into his presence, I'm entering into a moment with a God who smiles at me and who looks at me through the lens of Psalm 139 and sees me as his child. It it becomes much easier. When I was, when I was studying for this book, I, I was looking into Genesis and thinking, when did we first start having quiet times? And it seems to me like right at the beginning of our origin story in Genesis that, that actually man and woman walked with God on a regular basis in Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9. I know it's about the fall, but we do have this sense that, you know, that they that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And I'm looking at this kind of like old commentary, old English commentary, as you can well imagine. And the, and the, the chap in the commentary said, the reflexive conjugation of the Hebrew verb for walking was walking for pleasure. And it just put a whole different light on the idea of a quiet time. How do I walk for pleasure with God every day? How do I, you know, set aside some time where I can spend with him and walk with him? So that's 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 where it came from. It was the idea about putting in these daily disciplines that were based not in guilt, but based in the pleasure of walking with a God who smiles at me. Uh, I think that that delight part of it, that pleasure part of it, that um, if I... If I have that experience, then I want more. And so part of this is drawing us in to the enjoyment of it. Um, I mean, you know, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it feel like to walk for pleasure with God? And then once I've experienced that, obviously I'm going to want more. And the things that I want more of, I figure out how to get more of because, you know, I'm human and that's the way I'm wired. So can you talk with us about 
um, some of the maybe like the gateways into this. I mean, you obviously talk about various ways to pray and scripture memorization. You talk about prayer running, which I think should be prayer walking, but that's fine. Um, and then some of this is just being more alert to God's work. There's the there's the nature, natural world component. There's the imagination component. Just help us walk around a little bit in what you're talking about in Be Still so that folks can have a, a bit of a taste and see. I guess it's that sense of creating a place every day that starts to tune you into a greater God awareness Mm. so that you end up seeing God and experiencing God in your day-to-day every moment of your life. And for me, that was about going back to that Genesis analogy was where's my garden? Where's my place every day where I connect with God? And for me, it's a chair in my living room that I sit in the morning. I read my Bible, I journal, I pray, but, but it's out of that, that then I start to think, how do I engage and notice God in my day-to-day living? How do I make my car a place of prayer or how do I make going to the gym a place of prayer. I used to, uh, Carmen, I used to do prayer running, but I'm with you now. I'm definitely prayer walking. <laughs> it's not my, it's not my thing after four knee, knee operations. I think it's time <laughs> to stop the running and just start the walking, but it was trying to be practical about what do we do when we, in England here, we boil the kettle obviously to make a cup of tea. What do I do while that's all happening? Do I run around the kitchen, tidy things up, or do I just stop for a moment and, and spend some time thinking about God or praying to him? What do I do when I'm, you know, gardening? Do I, do I turn that piece of God? I'm not saying that we become monks, but, but there's, there's a whole load of stuff out there that we can so easily turn into a spiritual practice. If we just think about it, I'm doing bench presses in the, in the gym, you know, lifting up two weights. And as I lift them up, I'm thinking, well, what if these were my two sons, Ellis and Daniel? What if I, what if I was lifting them up to the Lord in prayer? And I kind of almost turn that physical activity into a prayer. It's not weird. I know it could sound weird, but it's not. It's just, it's just creating the cues and the the prompts in our everyday life that make me think about God and make me understand that he is ever present, always with me. And I think by doing that, we, we start to cultivate this kind of sense of God's presence with us wherever we go. And then the feeling that I get in the chair in the morning, I can carry with me throughout the day so that I become a better witness, so that I become a better friend, a better person for sharing with others you know so it, it it's something that we cultivate in the morning or whenever is good for you some people prayer times don't work in the morning they work at lunchtime or in the evening and obviously if you've got small children you're never going to be able to sit down for one hour at the beginning of the day you know it's just it's an impracticality whereas mm-hmm. we it's carving out those moments in the day where we get some time with Jesus. I think, sorry, I could go on forever, but like there's a, we, they say on average, the average human being nowadays in the Western world spends 150 minutes every day on social media. The Bible society tell me that you could read the Bible in one year if you gave it 15 minutes. So if we would even take one tenth of our time spent on social media and, and put it towards reading our Bibles, things would change. Now, that's not me trying to make people feel guilty. That's just that sense of it. it's it's whatever has our attention has our devotion. And so I'm trying to think about what am I giving my attention to? Because if I'm a Christian, I want to make sure I'm giving my attention to God. So for me, that's how it works, Carmen. It's so good. Um, 
where's your garden? That's a really, really good and provocative question. When you think about Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day, walking in the garden, just ask yourself for a moment, where is my garden? Um, Mm. Brian says his garden is the chair in his living room. Uh, I immediately recognize uh, where my chair is in the corner of a screened porch. Like, I know, I know I can sit there and get with God um, in, in a moment. But then, how can I make my car a place of prayer? How can I make my house cleaning a time of prayer? Yeah. Um, this is convicting for me, Brian. Do I actually stop? Mine would be like boiling eggs. Yours is putting the the water on for a kettle of tea. But I'm thinking here, mm. we raise chickens. And so I boil a oh, lot wow. of eggs. I make all kinds of egg related things. And so I have like the egg, you know, the egg boiling pretty perfected at yeah. this point. And I know what I, I know the 10 different things I can do in the 12 minutes. I have like, yeah. you know, 10 of them. Well, now you've convicted me. What if I just stopped? While the water was heating up, while the eggs were, you know, boiling, steaming, actually. What if Mm -hmm. I just gave those 12 minutes? Every time I do that, what if I gave those 12 minutes back to God instead of trying to multitask something else? Like, I'm now convicted. I'm now putting that, that is, I have stuck that as a, you know, as a question in my mind. And then I just like this. How do I turn something I'm already doing every day? Some physical activity, some, like, how do I turn that into a spiritual activity? I love the lifting up of my kids while I'm, you know, while I'm lifting weights. Um, I will share with you, when I was, uh, I was a freshman in college, I worked at a summer camp, and um, and literally one of the responsibilities, if you were, you know, you just on the summer staff, it didn't matter what your actual job was, like, you know, maybe your your actual job was washing dishes, but your Additional job, literally every step you took across the camp every single day in any direction was to pick up trash. You saw a piece of trash, you picked it up. And I I still distinctly remember our, you know, counselor in charge person saying, let me, let me tell you what you're doing when you do that. You are not picking up a piece of trash. You are picking up evidence of Satan off of God's good creation and you are throwing him away. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, my motivation to pick up trash anywhere I am now, I'm like, ooh, let me go get some of this evidence of Satan and get rid of it. Like, let me, <laughs> like, I am on it now. I'm like, yeah. I see trash. I'm like, ooh, Satan can't have that little spot of God's good creation. I'm going to get that and I'm going to throw it away. I'm telling you, completely transformed the way I think about picking up trash. And so um, I just, I think that this, the what you're giving us is so helpful because you're not telling me. You're not saying I got to get up another half an hour earlier. You know, Carmen, you're mm-hmm. not getting, you know, 4 a.m. is not early enough. You got to get up at 3.30 and you, you know, you got to find a half an hour to get with God and be still. I can find ways to take some things that I'm doing right now and mm-hmm. turn them into spiritual, you know, opportunities to spend time with God focusing on him. I love that. That's so, so empowering. And the, the key is intentionality, isn't it? The key is to be mm-hmm. intentional. Mm-hmm. And if if we're not intentional, life can just kind of drift along. You know, I, I love the fact that Jesus says in Matthew six about go into a, a an inner room and shut the door. And you know, we we read that that room was a room without any windows. 
And we have so many windows, Carmen, don't we? Like I've got my phone, I've got my laptop, I've got my iPad. Other devices are available, of course. But, you know, and, and I, I, there's so many different windows that I look into that can distract me throughout my day. And if I was just intentional in shutting a few of those down for a few moments, that, that would be super helpful, you know. So I think intentionality is, is the key, right. isn't it? I'm just going to go ahead and count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have 10 windows open right now just on my 14 inch screen. So we will take a pause right there and I'm going to close some windows. Brian Heasley is here. The book is Be Still, A Simple Guide to Quiet Times. I'm going to take a moment here and close some windows. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Be Still is a simple guide to quiet times. Brian Heasley is the author. You can also check out 247prayer.com, 24-7 prayer.com. You can uh, find Brian there as well. Um, Brian, um, why should I and how do I? These are why should I and how do I questions. Um, Cultivate a deeper desire to meet with God. Very good question as well. I think the why for me is Jesus had a quiet time. Jesus often withdrew during the busy life that he lived. We hear about him withdrawing to the garden. We hear about him withdrawing to the desert place, climbing up a mountain. He made a real effort to pray. And if I, as a follower of Jesus, want to be like him, I guess I need to, you know, if he needed to do it, uh, I definitely need to do it. So for me, I look at the life of Jesus and I want to be a follower of him. So I that's one of the whys. But also I think that, I just can't survive on one meal a week. I I need to feast on the Lord on a daily basis. Therefore, it's so important that we, in a world that is busy, that is chaotic, that I keep going to him, the source of peace, the source of joy, the source of my stability, and the one who is kind helps me to be kind. The one who is loving helps me to be loving. And the the, the more time I I spend in his presence, I guess, the, the, the more not only personally I benefit from that, but those around me benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Seem like yeah. the basic part of the discipleship journey, really. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, there there can be the personal motivation, right? The more I mm. spend in God's presence, um, I mean, obviously, just the more joy um, is going to be cultivated in my life. But that has an overflow effect. I sometimes... Yeah. I sometimes overwork my my Christian uh right my Christian life. I'm I'm overworking it and really I ought to be in the presence of God allowing it to be an overflow not an overwork. That's it. It's so often we're so busy we're just and we're busy doing the right things. I sometimes wonder if we get too busy doing the work of the kingdom without ever sitting at the feet of the king. Mhm. And that that often that, you know, because I'm busy like you, I'm charging around doing all sorts of different things. And, you know, it's all kind of like it's Christian, you know, and it, I'm working with Christians. I'm loving God's church. I'm enjoying my life, you know, working with people of faith. And then I think, when was the last time I actually sat at the feet of the king? 
and allowed my life to come, you know, to be based out of that rather than out of all that I do. So it's it's a challenge, isn't it, for us in the West? We're we're very motivated and busy all the time, and it's it's actually realizing that sometimes it is better just to sit and to talk. And I think we we often come to God in prayer when we're in desperate times or when we need Him to help us or we have lists. We don't often just sit, as I said at the beginning, for pleasure, where we just listen or read his word or talk to him about how we're feeling we don't we're not necessarily asking him to change everything although he loves us to petition him i so for me it's that yeah it it is that it's that using that piece of that that is about pleasure i don't mean like just to keep me happy make me happy but there's something about my kids coming home and spending time with me that warms my heart and i think the lord is the same he loves to spend time with his children so yeah mm. that, that's, that works for me so good. That's so good. Um, all right. One um, one idea that you have included in Be Still that other people have responded to with like, that's so great, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think the big one, one of the ones that I've had a lot of feedback about is about prayer walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if that's more European because I have been to the US a few times and there's not a lot of pavements that people walk on in some cities. Everyone drives everywhere. But but the idea that you could walk around your town or walk around where you live and and pray as you walk, not out loud like you look like some crazy person. But, you know, you could you could walk around your town on a daily basis and pray for your neighbors, pray for your friends, look at creation, appreciate God's goodness. And so the idea that we turn our walking into praying has actually and I thought it was a pretty obvious one, if I'm honest, Carmen, but but people seem to have really loved that. And 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 the idea as well around like it seeing God in nature. Obviously, I'm not talking about pantheism, I'm talking about like all nature points towards God. We're not, you know, God isn't the tree, but when we see a beautiful tree, it should point us towards him. So so that also kind of comes into my get out and about a bit more, look at creation, look up, look up, look around. You know, we we've got our heads down, we're busy, we're on our devices. What if you went for a walk and you didn't take your phone? And you just mm-hmm. took God with you. That that would be an interesting. I know you wouldn't get the steps that you need, but but you know, well, what would that look like? Walking without a phone for an hour. <laughs> well, we'd get the we would get the steps that we need. We just wouldn't have evidence that we had gotten the That's steps it. so that we could prove to someone else that we had done the steps. Yeah, if it's, it's just, not on your just, phone, did it really happen? <laughs> did it really happen? Did it really happen? I don't know. I might oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um this is so delightful. First of all, just um, thank you for your joyful spirit. Thank you for um, your willingness to talk about this and and invite us into it. Uh, invite us a little bit into 24-7 prayer as well. Wow. Well, 24-7 prayer has been around for 25 years, and we're just about helping people pray. We really were inspired by Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf of the Moravians, who started a night and day prayer meeting. So we, we've just been helping churches of all shapes and sizes all around the world set up prayer rooms for 24-7, so 24 hours, seven days. And these have happened in all sorts of places and big churches, small churches, and we've just seen it grow. I think last year we were in seven seven nations we saw 1400 prayer rooms happen and it's just been exciting to see lots of different people connecting with jesus so in, in 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 the place of prayer and i guess for us as well Carmen, just is we really believe in the idea of prayer and mission that you can't mm. separate the two because we need to breathe in and breathe out mm. 
I love it. I love it. Brian, thank you so much. That's Brian Heasley. Uh, Be still a simple guide to quiet times and 247.com. Hey, thank you so much um, for this time together today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace this day as you, um, as you sow peace in the world that God so loves. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.